0: All right, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2 today, the gospel, Uh, and we're continuing to focus on Jesus and his work. Last week, if you were able to join us, uh, you'll recall that we were in Matthew chapter 5, which is the Beatitudes. Okay, If you weren't able to join us, you can certainly catch up on previous messages online uh, but just know that, that last week we looked at a scenario in the life of Christ where he had gathered around him his disciples as well as a multitude of people and, and spent a great deal of time teaching, right? Helping those who had, who had come around him to understand what it was like to follow him, what it was like to be a child of God, what a call on their life was, As a disciple. And so, as much as that was a teaching episode and it was pretty passive for those in attendance, all right, not just for us in worship, but pretty passive for those on the mountainside that day, today's an action episode. Today's an action episode, and I want uh, to open that up for you uh, and to help you see a new work of God on behalf of the people of God, all right? And again, it's Mark chapter two. So, let's put the text on the screen. You can follow along, of course, uh, on your, in your Bible or your app or your, uh, if you brought your iPad with you or something like that, tablet. Uh, this is the NIV version, so if you prefer another version like ESV or the message or something for comparison, uh, feel free to open that as well. But let me read to you the text from the gospel, which will set the stage uh, for uh, the message. So, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. All right, so you can see in your mind, right, this stretcher and four men, two on each side, carrying their friend. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof. Who needs tornadoes, right, when you can have friends like this? They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Yet some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to himself, Why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. The man got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of everyone. This amazed all of them, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this, right? I bet. (laughs) All right, so that's the text uh, for the message. Now, this text is a text because it comes early in the life of the ministry of Jesus, right? And it so happens to come early in the Gospel of Mark. This is a text which we can call a loss leader, right? What do I mean by loss leader? Well, if you're in the retail business, you, you understand this concept, but this is the idea that stores like Walmart or, or Target or uh, wherever you like to shop is that they will often put products, right, on the end caps or, or, or those giant stacks when you come in the, uh, come in the store. They'll either sell them like at a, they'll sell them at a loss. They'll sell them below cost or below wholesale. And the idea is to get the customer uh, attracted to that. Like, wow, that's really cheap. I'm going to go into the store and I'm going to grab one of those things with the hope that you're going to continue to shop, right? That you're not just going to stop at that one item that they're selling below cost. And instead, you're going to look around and say, well, gosh, I need some of this and I need that and I need this. And so they sell it at a loss in order to lead you into the store to purchase more, right? So what do I mean by this in relation to the text? Because let me explain it before you think I'm I'm saying Jesus is cheap, right? Because I'm not. You see, the time had come for Jesus to demonstrate what his ministry was all about, okay? He had, after all, come to do much more than meet the objective needs of people around him. Yes, he, met, uh, he healed those who were sick. Yes, he, 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 he took care of those who were possessed by demons, right? He, he met those objective needs that he found before him. And these miracles are wonderful, but there's something greater for the people of God. And so the miracles, in a sense, are a lost leader. It's a way of getting people's attention to what God is up to in the world. Not just temporally, but also Eternally, it's a way of getting people's attention so as to point them to something greater, something more costly, something more expensive, right? And that's what makes this text important. There's a temporal miracle in order to get people to something eternal. Does that make sense? Now, <clears throat> with that in mind, though, think about the additional context of the story. Right as you as you read along or, or heard me read. mark 2 because an important aspect of of life in the middle east was and and still is this idea of hospitality right that your home it's a place to be open to your neighbors and to your your family uh, and that as much as possible you are to be as hospitable as possible uh, to others and in this case mark tells us the house was at over capacity right And access to Jesus is no longer possible. And so this lack of elbow room presents this problem uh, to these guys, right? It presents a a challenge to anyone who wants to be be healed like the man in the text. And what Mark goes on to do next is then to describe for you, me, something unexpected, something uh, uh, unorthodox, right? A disruption, disruption in the afternoon as Jesus is teaching, right? Can you imagine we're here worshiping and all of a sudden the ceiling starts to peel away, right? And we see these faces looking at us. Now, obviously the house's roof wasn't that high. That would be, that would be quite, quite weird, but uh, nonetheless, Mark goes on to describe something we don't expect and that the men go up on the roof uh, and access Jesus um, by tearing the roof away. But that simply doing is preparing the ground for Jesus to do a little disruption of his own, right? Do a little disruption with his teaching and do a little disruption in the hearts and minds of those who are listening to him that day. That because of his presence and because of his work in ministry on their behalf, they will not leave that house the same they came in. As much as that young man will be able to walk out, right, on his own two feet and has been changed, so too will those within hearing of Jesus' message. And so this miracle then, this lost leader, this uh, unusual circumstance, right, gives Jesus the opportunity for this greater lesson on forgiveness, a greater lesson on who he is. The miracle is cheap, forgive my language, but it's cheap compared to what grace is going to cost him, right? Yet the miracle is still the way to get them to something greater. Now, think about the story from Jesus's perspective, right? First, as we mentioned earlier, he's going to look up, right? He looks up and he sees these men. These men who have put feet to their prayers and will not permit difficult circumstances from discouraging them or from getting their friend to him, right? Uh, No, let's come back tomorrow, right? Instead, they said, let's get her done today, right? Do you have friends like that? Do you have friends who will do anything to get you to Jesus, to keep you in front of Christ? Have you had a trial in your life or a challenge or uh, perhaps a, a season uh, where, where things did not go well and yet you had people around you who were, who were faithful about keeping Jesus before you? Or perhaps maybe you've had the opportunity to play that role in someone else's life. That you're one of the stretcher bearers, if you will. You're one of those who is willing to tear off the roof, right? Even metaphorically, symbolically, in order to get those whom you love, in order to get your neighbors, uh, your children, your grandchildren, your coworkers to Jesus. So Jesus looks up, and he marvels at the capacity and the willingness of the friends to stop at nothing, to get their friend to him. And so after he looks up, then he looks down because he sees the man in need, right, the paralytic. But importantly, he addresses addresses first and foremost, not the physical needs, right, but the heart need. Your sin is forgiven. Even before he heals the man's body, he speaks peace into the, to the man's heart, and he pronounces that forgiveness. And so forgiveness then becomes the greatest miracle that Jesus will perform. I mean, the reality of it is if you were to follow the arc of, uh, of Jesus' life, the narrative of his teaching through the Gospels, there will be times when he will encounter people and he will not heal them. forgiveness then becomes the greatest miracle that Jesus will perform, right? It meets the greatest need. It costs the greatest price, right? Christ's, his life on the cross, and yet it brings the greatest blessing and the only one with lasting results. Uh, This man who was the paralytic, uh, even though he had regained the use of his legs, he will eventually die of old age, probably, right? And yet what Christ offers in forgiveness and grace and mercy and blessing is an eternity. So Ephesians 1, 7-8, In Jesus, Paul says, in Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. The riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. Listen, if all Jesus did was to heal people's infirmities, right? He would be nothing more than just a a doctor, right? Certainly wouldn't be Savior. And yet he was willing to pay the cost for you and for me. He was willing to gain our attention by something maybe as miraculous as a miracle, but yet he wanted to point us to something better and something Eternal. Think about, it's a good illustration about, of, a, of considering your prayers and what you pray about and what a church prays about. Now, this is not a criticism, please. But if I were to look in the back of today's prayer page and go through the names, most of whom are known to me by people and most of them known to you as well, The majority of the people on that list are those who are suffering physically, right? Have some type of ailment or in need of some type of care. And again, nothing wrong with that as the people of God, and we need to continue to pray for one another and encourage one another as we face these physical challenges, right? But how often do we as the people of God forget (laughs) to pray about the soul, the lives, of those in our li- uh, the, the lives of those around us known to us in our families and in our communities and our places of work and where we go to school, where we shop, where we play, right? That they too would know the saving grace that you and I know in our lives as followers of Christ. That the miracle that we most want as the people of God isn't simply for our loved ones to be restored physically, but for our loved ones to be restored spiritually. To have those broken hearts uh, bound up by the love of Christ. To have those who find themselves in, in physical weakness to, to feel the strength of Jesus within them despite their infirmities, right? Those types of things for us. And so I think, in a sense, we're asked will we pray first and foremost for spiritual health, right? Before we ever pray for physical needs, will we as the people of God remember that the priority of God is to go and make disciples and to connect people to the love of God in Christ? Well, there's more to the text, of course, because Jesus, after looking up at the roof and and looking down uh, at the paralytic, he now looks around at the people with him, doesn't he? especially those critics who, if you will, have come to spy on him. (laughs) Now, granted, they're the religious leaders of the day, and they have every right to, to know what this rabbi is teaching because the reality of it is they're responsible for what's taught in their community. But it's clear they didn't come with open hearts and minds, did they? Instead of seeking truth, they sought to criticize Instead of coming to, to learn from uh, this one who is now gathering crowds around him, um, they came to find fault with him. And here's why this is important, because this particular episode in the life of Jesus now starts or solidifies uh, the organized opposition against him, right? Right? This sets the stage, if you will, for when purposeful attempts at destroying Jesus and his ministry begin. There's no giving thanks even for the miracle among them. Instead, it's the pronouncement of the man's sins being forgiven which sets them off and begins that three year spiritual warfare in the life of Christ. I mean, Jesus is now so popular uh, that the, the Jewish leaders could not ignore him. It's the physical battle, right, which ends and now the spiritual begins. And so that leads to this. So we've got up, we've got down, we've got around. And the text tells us that Jesus looks within Jesus sees the, the sinful, critical spirit of the, the religious leaders and knows that they're accusing him of blasphemy because, after all, only God can forgive sins. And that's exactly what Jesus does. And in doing so, he claims to be God. And not only does he claim, he then moves to more action by revealing the hearts of those who are around him. Reminds me of John chapter 2, verse 25. John records, and Jesus needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. But did you notice their approach, though? They want to reason it out. That's verses six and seven, if you could put six and seven back up. So Jesus says, Think about this. Which is easier, to heal the man or tell him he is forgiven? Obviously, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because nobody can prove whether or not forgiveness really takes place. But to back up his words, he immediately heals the man and sends him home, right? And so this healing of the man's body is an illustration and demonstration, right, that the, that, of the healing of the soul. <laughs> Psalm 103, verses 2 through 3, the psalmist writes this, "'Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits.'" Who what? Let's read this together, verse 3. Who forgives all your iniquity and who heals all your diseases. And so even the psalmist prioritizes the healing of sin before the healing of the body. And the religious that day, they could do neither. <clears throat> they can't heal the body, they can't forgive sin, so they're caught in their own trap and they're condemned by their own thoughts. So what are the implications then of the episode? There's a lot. Thankfully, the cowboy game doesn't start 7 7.30, right? I'm not going to go through all of them. I'm just kidding. But just for a couple for today. And I went over this earlier. Do you see yourself as the paralytic? The one in need of forgiveness. The one uh, who needs to know. Uh, That it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you did, that forgiveness is free and generous and lavished on you. Or perhaps you recognize that in your life, uh, and so are you prepared to rise up and walk as the people of God who have been redeemed by the work of God? to give joy to your step, to express uh, what you have received in Christ Jesus. Do you find yourself more as the critic in the corner? The one who's concerned with the way things are done or, or not done the way you think they should be done. Or perhaps, as I said earlier, maybe you're just one of those friends that you have someone in your life that you know you need to get them to Jesus. I was thinking earlier about when that tornado came through the area and did so much damage. And the community is thanking the Lord that no, lost, no one lost their life, right? Right? And if you've had a chance to drive, even up Walnut Hill and uh, Royal and, and, you know, all the way over to Forest, um, I mean, it's, there's a lot. But those people did what they had to do to, 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 to get themselves and their loved ones safe, right? If we're willing to do that in the face of the storm, are we willing to do this for others because of what's at stake spiritually? Are we willing to go to the lengths that we would go to to preserve our life, at least temporally? Are we willing to do that also spiritually? And I would say this, too, in this lost-leading miracle, <clears throat> I made mention that Jesus calls himself Son of Man, right? I mean, that's a whole another two or three messages. In fact, Mark will go on to use that title, Son of Man, 14 more times. And then in all four Gospels, Son of Man appears 80 times. 80 times. That's huge. But again, all this can be easily missed if you get distracted by that lost leader at the beginning of the story. That item at the front of the store when you walk in, right? The heart is healed. Sins are forgiven, and the Son of Man establishes credentials, right? All inside this house, which is crowded with onlookers, followers, even enemies. But most of all, brothers and sisters, it also contains Jesus. (laughs) And because it contains Jesus, that's why the story makes a difference. Not only to the paralytic, but to you and me as well. In his name.